The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Probably a little bit orange. Got, gonna uh, gonna got, hit the button. All right, do it. And we're live. It is Thursday, October 21st, 2021, 5.04 p.m. Eastern Time. And we like the color orange. It is perfectly seasonal today. Uh, it matches that the, the irises in Ben's dog shirt. It matches my copy of Ulysses behind me. Uh, and um, But there is no orange on the cover of Will Codrington's new book that he is here to discuss today. Hold up the book. On. What? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You have to hold there the book. What's the title of the book, Will? The title of the book is The People's Constitution, 200 Years, 27 Amendments, and the Promise of a P More Perfect Union. Ooh. We are not allowed to have fun anymore, but we <laughs> are allowed to have a copy of The People's Constitution if you yes. buy it, which you can. And I just put a link in the chat. Um, again, the um, so uh, this is with John Coel at the Brennan Center, who you used to work with before you became a law professor. Uh, I have heard so many, many, many complaints about the process of writing this book, but I actually don't know how it all started and like how I, I didn't also mean that like a really bad thing. I wasn't trying to start with something negative. I just mean everyone complains about writing a book. Yes. And as your friend, I have heard, I have like, I have heard a lot of those. And you do this really annoying thing where you turn off your phone on writing days and you don't respond to my fucking text messages. And so it's that's, very frustrating. That's the highest crime and misdemeanor in Kate's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like, I'm like, in Kate's. Well, yeah, it is. There's something happening in an election world. I need your advice. Um, But but generally speaking, I don't actually know how you and John came about writing this book together, besides that you're both at the Brennan Center at like the beginning. So do you want to kind of tell us about it? Yeah. So um, the book started, I guess, four years ago. It really the idea came in the aftermath of the 2016 election and, you know, the Electoral College having given us the wrong winner and a particularly bad the wrong winner was um, sort of simulating this question, which is why don't we get rid of the Electoral College? And you do a little bit more research, you find out that the Electoral College is one of the top two um, uh, subjects for constitutional amendment throughout our history. And so there's been many attempts, you had What's very close attempt, the Equal Rights Amendment. Come on, Kate. Uh -huh. Didn't you write your Didn't you write your college thesis or a paper on this? I knew the answer, the answer this? to that. Yes, yes. Top, top mm -hmm. two in what by what measure? In terms of the number of resolutions actually introduced. I see. So sheer in, number. In, and in, in Congress, in like in in like in the in Congress or in in Congress. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um. Uh, and and like we're we're talking about near a thousand for each of these, right? Like. It, uh, many people introduce uh, resolutions for these in, in a, um, yearly. And, and um, so 
you know, there's been these attempts. And for the Electoral College, there actually was a very, very close attempt in the 1960s and 70s where we got close to getting a national popular vote, but that was thwarted by Southern segregationists and a, and a filibuster anchored by Strom Thurmond. But the idea was not only do we have this problem with the Electoral College, but there are other problems with the Constitution that we know and recognize today. And so wh what, what did other people do? What did other pre previous generations do to actually get this done? And what were the sort of conditions Wait, that allowed get, to, get to, amend the to amend because the Constitution? Because we have we have 27 amendments, right? And we have 27 amendments. When you take it all into account, it's about you know 40% of the overall Constitution's length. So nearly rivaling the original so, Constitution. But hang on a second. 12 of those amendments happen within a very short time uh, uh, of the, I mean, the, 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 the 12th Amendment is in 1801, right? Um, uh, 1804. 1804, sorry. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the Bill of I Rights. Hate people like you guys that can just remember shit like that. Like, I just, anyway, go ahead. So the, the Bill of Rights happens within, you know, yeah. in the first Congress and is kind of part of the ratification process, really. And then the two subsequent amendments happen really yeah, fast. Sure. And, so, and so that's actually that, that's it, that, but that's important. That's to say that, I mean, first, there's, that's important for a number of reasons. One, it showed that the amendment process works. Right. So we can think about it as in the founding era. And that's actually the, the name of the chapter for the first 12 amendments is the founding era amendments. But it, like, it, it critically showed that amending the Constitution was possible, which was something that um, um, the anti-federalists said wasn't possible. But also it shows that like, it did something that uh, later amendments actually built on was to insert important protections important protections that uh, bolster democracy and protect individual rights into the constitution. So it set a very, very important precedent that period, um, that period. Um, and then th obviously we talked about the 11th and the 12th amendment too. Those were also within the same sort of 15 year period early on. Um, and those did important things themselves, but um, it is just that fact that we got those first 10 amendments is super important. Another part of that, fact that is really important and a theme of the book is that we actually amend in clusters. We don't amend in this staccato manner, right? So we get this bunch of 10 amendments yes. and then two amendments shortly afterwards. And then we kind of have these dry spells and then we get another cluster. And then we have these dry spells of periods of decades. And then we get another cluster and that, that cycle repeats. So those are actually important things that raise up the themes of the book. Okay. So, interesting. Oh, okay, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please. Um, so that, to the, so, okay, I have like, I have a ton of questions. I'm just going to like briefly list them. Bruce Ackerman's constitutional moments theory. Like I want to hear kind of, I would love it if you could just briefly explain it to the audience and then kind of engage with like how, what you're, what you and John propose here is kind of different or builds on that um, and kind of like addresses the idea of like kind of the periodic uh, evolution of of the constitution as you said like the clusters of amendments two i'm really curious about like 
whether or not those political clusters come about because of like, what the cause and effect is. Do they come about because there is significant enough, like, uh, like kind of collective action that you can have politically just in politics in general, like as to say, like a just bipartisan kind of grouping or not even bipartisan, like majoritarian party politics at like at moments in time, does that map over onto it? Like you can just get shit done like amendments uh, in certain periods of time and you can't in others. Um, or whether it's because of like great moments of social change and agitation and a need for procedural strong guards. I mean, I am cynical, so I would say it's probably the former. I would guess it's actually like uh, like the genesis of it is more political. Mo like that like is because of there's a political moment for it, not that there is a social or cultural demand for it just at that time. Um, but anyways, either of those or both of them. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk, start with both. So uh, Bruce Ackerman's theory of these constitutional moments that came from his We the People or We the People trilogy. Um, and the idea there is that, you know, we get these periods that uh, you get this alignment in, in popular politics that and usually sort of um, started by a big wave election, maybe something else, but you have this realignment and uh, you have these moments, these sort of compressed periods where you get robust constitutional change. Now, his thought is, and, and others think about this too, if you think about like how we amend the constitution, John and I are focusing mostly, we're focusing mostly on formal amendments, formal change. Bruce Ackerman doesn't limit his sort of theory to that. So for example, a big period he talks about, and we talk about it too, but in a different context, is the sort of Roosevelt revolution and the New Deal revolution, that being a significant alignment, uh, realignment and sort of expansion of federal power. And that was also ratified by the successive wave elections that gave us FDR and four consecutive wins, right? So he's got this idea, and I, I don't think ours sort of contests that as much as to say that we think, we're not thinking about the informal parts as much, and we also think about four periods. I think Bruce Ackerman really only acknowledges two periods yeah, really of constitutional annoying, moments. I think he says so, like the reconstruction period and then yes. the new deal period and nothing else. But he yeah, talks about these I'm other like, ones, like the civil rights period as being like this failed constitutional moment or like the, maybe Reagan being this failed constitutional moment, but he doesn't sort of give credence to these other periods that we focus on that we've gotten actual formal constitutional change. He never, I, I, I was a total asshole when I got to Yale and read We the People for the first time and then was like, wait, there's nothing in here about the ERA. How could you even nothing. like have, there's nothing in here. Like he doesn't even count it. It's like the closest we've come in 50 years to having a constitutional amendment and more than that, like a hundred years. And he's like, just ignores it. I just like wrote him an email. I'm like, why do you just ignore this? And he never, he never responded. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and so I, and so like what might put that in context for us is that, so I said, we, we, we amend the constitution in waves, right? These clusters. And uh, Ben asked the first question, which was like, what was going on with the first one? Well, that was the early uh, American history cluster, mostly bill of rights. Then we had the reconstruction cluster cluster. Then we had the progressive era cluster, and then we had the civil rights Cold War era cluster. And just to put where the ERA fits in context, um, in the beginning or the end of each of these clusters, yeah. you get a failed constitutional amendment or two. 
And so the ERA was the first one that failed after the civil rights period. And then the second one was a very robust DC amendment that for all intents and purposes would have taught, treated DC as a state. Um, and, and so those were actually bigger amendment ideas than the amendments we actually got in the civil war in the civil rights era, right? Because what we got was the elimination of the poll tax. Well, that's great. But that only was going on in five states in the South at the time. So most states had already gotten rid of it. It's just like one mechanism that they were using to suppress democracy. We got a sort of info, uh, incomplete DC amendment, right? So I told you that the one that failed was the more complete one. We got one that just added DC to the Electoral College. And we also got, you know, um, the lowering of the voting age for 18 years old. And, and that's like relatively big, but like also just not like huge, right? It's an anti-discrimination one, not an affirmative right to vote. The big one we kind of, the big one that was sort of a government operation one was the 25th amendment, which was the succession of the presidency and the vice presidency. That came of course, in light of Cold War fears that we needed an alert president at the button. Uh, JFK died, right? So we were in this period where like, that was just something that we knew we didn't have clarity at the time and we had enough experience to show that we needed to fix it. Um, but the, the, the DC amendment, the ERA were really robust, but at the time we got to those in the 1970s, there had been this conservative backlash or this rise of the new right and the energy from these rights revolutions, the civil rights, the women's rights movements, the gay rights movement, that sort of had been sapped at the time. And that's the important period, important thing. Whereas Bruce Ackerman says we had these constitutional moments, we sort of agree with that. But those moments are very short. You have a very short window where you have enough energy and sort of alignment to actually, in the conditions to actually amend the constitution in the big All way. right, but hang on a second. Um, there is in roughly the same period as these failed amendments that you described a little bit earlier, uh, an amendment that came, I think, within one or two states of being ratified, uh, which is the Bricker Amendment, um, which is a kind of right wing uh, anti uh, uh, you know, opposition to uh, the citation of international law or the UN Charter in, uh, um, I'm curious, I, I forget how close the Bricker Amendment came. I think it was actually sent to the states and got a bunch of states ratifying it. Um, 53, 54 or something. Um, how, what are the conditions that lead to these flurries of amendments that you're describing? And, um, and what are, you know, because you look at the 18th and 19th century and you're like, there's two, there's the founding and there's a civil war. And, you know, I don't look and say, gosh, well, let's have a civil war so we can have some, you know, some, some more constitutional amendments. Um, so we got to be looking to the 20th century for something sort of a little bit more encouraging than that. Um, what are the conditions that you look at and say, okay, we're ripe to have a wave of constitutional amendments here? 
Yeah, so um, importantly, the Bricker Amendment didn't make it out of Congress, but it was close. And and, and I just want to highlight that because it- Wait, it didn't make it out of Congress, which means that it didn't even go to the states. I thought you- Yeah, but there- was a few states away. Or do you mean, oh, do you mean like state senator? Guess, or, oh, you mean like- I guess it was a few votes, votes away. Votes away. Um, right, oh, exactly. Okay. Sorry, okay. I, I, I misremembered that. No, no, no worries. Um, there were there were six failed amendments um, that made it out of Congress and made it to the states, but did not actually get passed. And there's yeah. I can talk about those two because they're very interesting. Do you count the ERA twice or do you just count it once, Will? Once. Okay. It's a, as the failed amendment. Um, and, and so I'm happy to talk about those because those are also interesting and quirky stories. But just to uh, get at Ben's question, which also built on the question that you asked earlier, Kate, was like, yeah. what are these conditions? And I don't think that we should um, exclude the ones that occurred in the 19th century because they also highlight things that have similarities to the ones that happened in the 20th century. So what we try to do at the end is like look at these things that were catalysts or, 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 or conditions that existed, right? And so this is mostly a history book. So we're not going to say like, this means we will definitely do it. But one, a few things I'll, I'll highlight. So one thing is uh, very unpopular Supreme Court decisions. And so I recently wrote a piece in the Atlantic about this. Um, but there have been in every amending period, a very unpopular Supreme Court decision. And as you know, the Supreme Court interprets a provision of the Constitution, the only way you're going to change that is either amend the Constitution or have the Supreme Court change its mind. It changes its mind seldomly. It did from like Plessy to Brown versus Board, but that's very seldom. Um, and so in every period, there has been a very unpopular Supreme Court of opinion. And and so in the founding period, this is so the one the, that you said the framers would have wanted us to use, to use the amendment process more. That's correct. Right. And so um, and I'll, I'll name one from each each era. One there was uh, the decision uh, first that we had to strip the Supreme Court of its jurisdiction in the 11th Amendment because they said that uh, citizens can sue states. Right. So that's the first time it happened. Not only did that undermine the Supreme Court decision, but it also sort of curtailed the, the, the actual judiciary and the structure. So that's a big. It does two things, not just the reverse, but also to change the judicial structure. Uh, we, we did it with uh, Dred Scott, and that was very much in the Reconstruction Amendments. We did it with Oregon versus Mitchell, which was in the civil rights era, which was um, the, the right for 18 year olds to vote. And we also did it in terms of the income tax in the progressive era. So that's a very common thing. And in a couple of those, they actually opened the window to amending because people are so mad, right? And, and I think my, my sense is that Citizens United is like that sort of equivalent, right? This is something that universally, like on both sides of the spectrum, people point to a decision that's they hate. Um, Citizens United may be that sort of thing. And in fact, there's sort of movement to try to do that. And there has been movement to do that. So that's one thing is very unpopular Supreme Court opinions. Uh, another thing we see is actual a sense of insecurity. So Ben, you mentioned you know, the founding era and the reconstruction era. Well, we had real senses of insecurity because we were in the founding era, we weren't sure that the, the constitution was gonna even last, right? At various points, the country almost tore itself apart, including the contested it election of 1800. It had just torn itself apart. It had, it had literally just, just thrown out the Articles of Confederation. I mean, they're just correct. like, you know, sorry. Yeah. Correct. And, th and that's true. And so the Civil War, also a period of like immense insecurity. And we actually got to the point of tearing ourselves apart. Right. And, and so we get immense senses of insecurity through war. We get it through depression. Right. Economic uh, downturn. We get it through 
a pandemic, right? Pandemic was happening in the in the um, progressive era, and that was the period when we were amending the Constitution to give women the right to vote. Um, we get it in a lot of other in the Cold War period, right? Like that's a feeling of insecurity, national insecurity. And so in these periods, whether it's war or sort of recession or something else that kind of brings this massive national sense of insecurity, that can be, that can open a window because it tends to show um, that the Constitution's not doing something it should be doing, right? And, and th that can be any of those things in those periods. So that's another. Um, I, can, I can go on. There's other things. Um, one, one thing that we see is like we see some experimentation in the state. So this is something that I think is important for people who think that, you know, like progressives are these people who want to ignore states. I think the states are super important because the states often do things that lead to amendments in the future. Right. Like they inform what we do. And so, you know, for example, abolition started in the states. The, the 13th Amendment came after states were yes. abolishing slavery, you know, like the, the, the 17th Amendment came about because states were trying to get around the appointment system for senators. Right. And then they actually pushed that change. And, and so this is happening all the time. Right now, we see states trying to experiment with their own systems and constitutional systems. And if they're popular enough then those might take hold and be sort of shored up in the national constitution through amendment. So there, there, and that shows the federal government and the states as sort of partners in this thing and not sort of always antagonistic. Um, but I do want to say it's a, another, one last thing, I guess, and I'll sort of shut up for a little bit. Uh, ben, you mentioned uh, the Bricker Amendment. I think that's something important to highlight. If we look at all these amendments, the amendments have been, by and large, and I would say with the exception of one, all pretty progressive or what we think of in terms of progressive. Yes. And the one exception is the 22nd Amendment. And I can tell you the story about that. But it really is what they said. They were trying to kick the deadline while he was down, really trying to get to FDR in his in his death when Republicans made it their first um, 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 item of action once they gain control after being in the political wilderness. Right. But other than that, all of these all these amendments are increasing rights, protecting democracy or their technical amendments that help our Constitution work. And so we also see in, most recently, but in these other periods where conservatives did try to change the Constitution, they saw what was happening in the progressive playbooks. And they just, their, their ideas didn't take hold. But there are various ideas where they came close, including continuing calls for a new constitutional convention. So I, so is this, I want to like, so the tagline of the book is kind of like ending up more democratic, like basically that like, that this is like moving, that like using the constitutional amendment process is more, is part of the reason that like, what I guess I want, I'm kind of curious about is like how you're defining democratic. And one of the things that I'm kind of hearing as you're talking is the idea that you'd have like, is it because states are being used as experimentation, like, like crucibles? Is it because that there is like an engagement and it requires both political alignment and like a, like a, like a, like a majoritarian-esque type of like uh kind of sensibility is it because it kind of like so like is that like is that collectively how you guys decide to define like more democratic because i actually think that that's like an interesting question since there's just like so many when you use it as a uh as an adjective i think democratic 
turns into democrat like democratization turns into basically a much harder thing to quantify and it can mean both like a Mad an early Madison type of democracy that is very majoritarian based and a later Madisonian democracy or, or or lots of different types of democracies in between. Yeah. But I guess I'm just kind of curious what you guys were imagining. Yeah. So I mean, democracy, I want to just mean like in the small D sense, in the most basic sense, we have examples of just expanding democracy. So, for example, we add the 15th Amendment, which grants the right to vote for black men. So just expanding democracy by including more people in it who are not a part of the American people, not a part of the we the people. We have an amendment that restructures the Senate so we elect them directly as opposed to having state uh, legislators choose them. We have an amendment that includes women. We have an amendment that lowers the voting age to 18. We have an amendment that gets rid of a vote uh, obstruction tactic, which is the poll tax. And all of this just really what it does is it opens democracy to more people and it changes the complexion of we the people in the United States. So just like in a very simple sense. But I also just want to say like something you and both of you sort of mentioned this too. It takes a lot to amend the Constitution. And I'm, I'm just like I have it drinking the Kool-Aid um, so much and think that like, oh, this is inevitable. Um, but it does take this sort of realignment. And we've seen the realignment in terms of power plays, right? So this was just like the radical Republicans. You had most of the, um, the Democrats of the Southern Democrats out, which made it easier to pass reconstruction amendments where you're just not like, you know, it was basically a term of war that they had to ratify some of these amendments, right? Yeah, and, and that terms of readmission to the union included ratification, you know, Correct. we, we, we could get all kinds of uh, of of of, of constitutional passed. amendments, and if we could hold a gun to Mississippi's head, yeah, I mean, well, the problem was who who was holding a gun to whose head first, and like that became a term. But but oh, we can, we can I, talk I, about that. I'm not saying it's not justified. I'm just right, saying right. conditions are hard to replicate. Right. So we don't and we don't <laughs> want to replicate that one. That is one. And Ben, you said this up front. We don't want another civil war. We don't want to replicate that one. Why but are we not it, talking about prohibition? Sorry, we're gonna, um, gonna go. Oh, I want to get there. Eventually. Oh, I don't have my okay, drink. Okay, okay, I'm drinking okay. like water okay. and cucumber, cucumber. water. Right, right? Like I should have been. I feel like I'm in prohibition right now. I should be drinking whiskey. <laughs> Why? With Why are you doing this? Um, are you pregnant? I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but also, so. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, We've been friends for a very yeah, long time. <laughs> we have been. Um, but you also get these sort of uh, coalitions that make them possible too, right? And so the civil rights era is a perfect example of coalitions. You had to, again, exclude the Southern Democrats for the most part, but you had Northern Republicans and Democrats throughout other parts of the country that helped make that possible. Because like these were common sense, long overdue ideas to get these things done. We were having a racial a reckoning that was building on the foundation of the original sort of reconstruction amendments that were not given their deference, not they basically were inutile for nine centuries, right? During the Jim Crow era. And so you get these, if you either get a wave election and Bruce Ackerman talked about these wave elections, so that could be part of it. You get hardball politics where you just exclude the other party or you get coalitions that make them possible. But basically, they are things that the country 
is behind enough, obviously, because you get a supermajority support to kind of get them out. And the trick is, once you get them out of Congress, for the most part, these things are going to pass, right? That's what the history shows. 27 amendments have passed, six have failed. One of them came very close. Um, and so, you know, like, like I, I think that scares some people because the idea is if we open the door to amending, like what kind of crazy do you get out of that, right? And I, I, I see that. But um, I think it's hard to open the door to amending until you have that sort of big um, backing from the majority. Um, so, yeah. A totally random question that I just like actually can't. Prohibition? Answer. Yeah, well, no. I, it's not random. I just mentioned it. Well, try to keep up. There's like, <laughs> there's a, uh, no, I, Ouch. um, Sorry, this is how this we're is getting so serious. Used to this. I'm so used to we've this. Got, we, we've got Will's pregnancy on the table. <laughs> we've got, like, he can't keep up. Oh I think we gosh. need to be more polite to our guests than no. this. Oh, my gosh. I'm turning red because I'm embarrassed that I'm getting called out for teasing Will. But, no, there's a... Um, At least it's not but, orange. Yes, it's true. At least. Um, but I will... There would be something very wrong if I was turning orange. Um, but there was a... <laughs> we've got... <laughs> ongoing critique of the guest's wallpaper know. you know like there's a it's, civility issue that I this know. is all raising KK. i know okay but i do want to talk so so one of the things that i never really got around to talking in my era paper but i think it kind of comes up as you just said with the idea that once these things go out there's a there's a general kind of energy in the states to to pass them um one of the interesting things that has recently I've been like toying with the idea of is like if we got to a moment again where we could have a constitutional amendment, the power and like the partisanship of the holdout state. And like if there was some type of like group of holdout states that like Ben just kind of reminded me of it, of like the idea of like holding a gun to Mississippi's head. But what if like Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas and like, oh, you know, like what if like a third of them decided to kind of. To, to like forestall this and almost like this kind of not fill I mean, filibuster just like a factional way like like to kind of you know and i i is that something that's ever contemplated in this yeah kind so of i mean that, that's how it was there were all yeah. i mean as you might imagine the, the 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 amendments from the civil rights era it was the south that were the ones that were not ratifying if you look at a lot of the periods it's also it's regional things and 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 one one scholar um and I'm, his name is now like yeah me um but i will remember he thought about the the sort of amendments in like regional sort of pushes right yes and so I know like what you're talking about is this so okay sorry I remember i'm, this I'm gonna I'll, I'll remember um but he kind of thought about like for example the progressive era amendments were like western amendments right because that's where you had like a lot of the populism and those sorts of things and the first bunch of amendments were southern amendments right because it was really the anti-federalist and specifically pushes of virginia to try to like get the bill of rights in for example and the the the, the sort of reconstruction ones were obviously the northern amendments right because it was the North fighting the war that won, right? And so kind of thought about it like that. But you ought, in terms of getting, um, having the opposition at the ratification stage, yeah, like it, it happens like that. And the South, I would say, is sort of like the biggest example, the best example of how that happens in regional ways. But I mean, the point is, though, if you get enough energy and support in the first instance to get a super majority in Congress, like 
whatever pushed those members of Congress to do that, whatever sort of energy is in the states to kind of get that, it's probably on your side or not like completely against your side at that point, right? Because you have the same electorate electing these people. Now, gerrymandering is going to play into some of these things too, but like gerrymandering plays out both in the state and federal level. Um, but once you have enough sort of energy in Congress, you probably had enough energy in the states in the first place to send those members to Congress. Um, and at that point in time, like it's so novel and, and sort of unexpected to amend the constitution that the people in the states, once you get something in front of them, they're like, everybody's chatting about it. Like, are we going to do this? Are we not? Like there's a real deliberation going on and probably a push to get those things uh, through. Yeah. So we All should right. have it to, wait, wait, go ahead. Ben. Before we go to audience questions. I was gonna, I was gonna wanted to go to prohibition, but you can go to, but you Before we first. go to prohibitions, yeah. I wanna, I, 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 I wanna ask what, the pol what the what the program is uh that you're advocating as a perspective matter so let's take mm. the history as a, as you state it as a given and say arguably some of the conditions you describe are present today but really what's present today is a sharp degree of political polarization of a sort that makes any action, let alone, you know, sending to the states and three quarters ratifying, very difficult to imagine. So what other than the need for a civil war um, or for the admission of a shitload of new states so that you change the dynamic here, which is a great argument for imperialism, um, uh, is the what follows from everything you're arguing about the way we should think of our own relationship with the amendability of the Constitution? Yeah, so and, and political polarization is actually one of those things you also see in the periods right before amendments. So the, the thought is and the hope is that when that gives way, you get this new governing majority or this coalition that now has this mandate to do big things, including things that will sort of um, alleviate the problems that caused the polarization in the first instance. So every period had this period of intense polarization, obviously, um, and then there became this big mandate. So the first mandate, obviously, was the Federalists, right? And they had complete control. And despite their sort of worst angels telling them not to uh, propose the Bill of Rights, they did it anyway. Um, and you had the radical Republicans. Again, that's a different sort of situation, but in, like polarization to the max, obviously, if you're uh, having a civil war. Same thing that happens with the realignment in, in the sort of progressive era. You have these sort of back and forth elections for a while, two um, misfires from the Electoral College in the 12-year period. That should sound familiar to us today. Um, and, and sort of in like swings in control of Congress. And then you finally get this opening and then obviously there is um, the polarization that existed during the civil rights era. And again, I'm pointing to the South, which is like very much on its doing its own thing. Um, and so hopefully that polarization breaks and you get this opportunity to do big things. Um, and, and so I guess the, the second part of your question is like prescriptive. Um, we did not, we specifically did not advocate specific amendments, a plan. Right. I'm happy to talk about some of the things I think about 
uh, you, some of the things you we thought John. about together. Right. We like we and, and and part of it is that really the core of this is to show what happened in history and how that can uh, like that can create a sort of game plan or show you like the frustration that people felt before people amended the constitution and these other periods, they were whining about the same things we were whining about. This is not possible. It is unwise. Do not tamper with the framework's handiwork and the framers handiwork. All those sorts of things we hear today, those exact things were said right before it became possible and it became wise. And we decided to tamper with the framers handiwork. And so, and, and, and we did so in a way, again, that just made our constitution more democratic, more protective of rights. Operationally, the government works better and more inclusive of everyone. And that's important. Um, and so I, I, I can talk about a few things. I, I, I put the Electoral College up there. I really do think that, you know, like if we can get out of this sort of polarized framework and that sort of like is one of the things we're assuming again you have the break in that um that has always been a popular idea it's just like when you had the obstruction to it so in the 1960s and 70s when it's put up 80 percent of americans wanted to get rid of the electoral college and it was the senate that stopped it um it got the votes in the house the supermajority in the house so i put that up I'd say we're, we're missing a, a, an affirmative right to vote. And a lot of what we have is this sort okay, we talked about democracy and expanding that. What we have is an, a robust anti-discrimination framework in our constitution about the right to vote, but nothing proactive um, and, and, and actually putting a positive right to vote. And, and I think, you know, if we look at the states, 49 of the state constitutions have some positive right to vote and they've been able to do wonderful things with them. Some of them have used their provisions about free and fair elections and the right to vote to actually um, um, to rule gerrymanders unconstitutional, right? Some of them have used it to say this voting ID law is too onerous. And so maybe, you know, taking something from the states, as I said, is something that we've done with amendments is the idea in that regard. I think the ERA, it, it's, it's way over time, overdue to get the ERA. But then there's other things. Everybody's talking about like the overreach of a Supreme Court or like their lifetime tenure. People have talked about rotating uh, membership of the Supreme Court. There's a whole commission about this right now, right? And, and, yeah, and Jack so- Yeah, Wilkins been on to talk about it. Like, I mean, this is like, yeah. we're not, I mean, we all think that it's not gonna do anything. I was very optimistic about Jack Goldsmith is on. There's like a whole bunch of our favorite people. I don't think they're, I mean, on, but let, let yeah. me say something about commissions. Yeah. Commissions have also been in the sort of backdrop of amendments, especially in the in the civil rights era. Kennedy had so many commissions, ones that talked about uh, the decline of democracy and that led to sort of ideas for the 18 year old vote. There was the commission on women, I think it was called American Women that was sort yes. of headed by Eleanor Roosevelt at the time that like, was the precursor to all the changes in the Civil Rights Act that added sex to the Civil Rights Act and yeah, also, also led to the ERA. With, with lesbian rights, but that's another story too. But sure, yeah. sure, sure. But like there were these commissions and while they themselves can sometimes seem like, you know, gain ways for presidents to punt, you know, some of the nuggets in those things actually have become amendments. Um, and, and, and that's important. So I think, you know, while presidents don't have any formal role in amending the constitution that is specifically left to the legislators, both the legislators in Congress and legislators in the states. Um, presidents have had a role in, in sort of prompting some things, including either just going out and urging them or setting commissions that might set the stage and sort of examine some of these issues. That's 
that is like a, I think that that's a super valuable. I think it's a super valuable point. Really? Oh, so we're gonna. It's oh my god, it's already it's five forty three. Yeah, but we gotta and gotta go to prohibition now. We have to go to so okay. So I have not watched the Ken Burns documentary, but I have had it summarized to me. Is it terrible? Do you hate it? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Okay. Maybe we should watch it together. That'd be fun. But anyway, so, um, maybe we can watch it with my in my orange room before I'm going in labor. Uh, you know, all that I, stuff. <laughs> it's better than an epidural, that orange room. <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh, <laughs> this conversation is taking a weird ass turn, guys. <laughs> got this sibling rivalry thing I know, going. I know. This There's... is reminding me that we need to bring back pugilism week. Oh, yeah. Um, I know. But, 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 but we're not being pugilistic. I guess we're No, there's not, nothing there's pugilistic about this at all. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, really? No, it's not. I'm just No, no. Say. It's it's kind and gentle. <laughs> it is. Well, you should meet my brother. I kick. Well, anyways, they were like, <laughs> um, but wow. there's, but I will say that, that, but, but prohibition, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was kind of just like laughing to myself. Maybe I had some like weird dream about the fact that there, that there had been a hundred years. Actually, I think it was because of the hundred year anniversary of women getting the right to vote. But mm. the idea that we had had two constitutions both to a ban and then repeal the ban we'd gotten yeah. enough enough people together in like a short in like a pretty decent stretch of time like eight years apart nine years apart uh that those that the amendments come and like so not like that, that there had been some type of coalition or a switch in coalition that had come together in that period of time that either it had kept together and then changed its mind or it or the coalition had changed and that like the cultural moment had changed. And I just think that there's like putting aside all of the social context that Ken Burns kind of tells of like, it was all about the sudden rise of grain alcohol and hard alcohol instead of beer and wine, men are getting plastered and beating their wives. And there was like this public health concern, which I totally, you know, in part by. But, like, I also kind of think that we've never really cared that much about domestic violence. So this kind of strikes me as slightly mm. weird that we would all of a sudden coalesce around, like, just that to be the reason that we that we decide to, like, ban something that lets us all have a lot of fun. Um, and so, like, I kind of I, I really do wonder, like, what was going on? And I find it to be fascinating as a cluster, the things that happened in this moment and as we have talked, you and I have talked about before, the the closeness of the abolitionist movement, the black rights movements, the women's rights movements, the prohibition movements, this like all of them kind of like Venn diagramming together in various yeah. ways at the same time, and then like riding each other's coattails into yeah. these into these amendments. So like could we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so there, there's so much there. And like, it's it's funny that prohibition has so much to unpack. And I think you just like threw a lot of different nuggets out there that hopefully we can like um, unpack a couple of them. So one thing is, yeah, there's such an overlap between these movements. So abolition, we think about as that as the great movement, right, of the 19th century. That's the big movement. But like going on at the same time where there's women's movements and the temperance movement, and really those people, they were coincide. They cut their yes. teeth in the abolitionist movement. 
And they took those skills and pushed for the amendments of their sort of specific focus that were like decades and decades in the making. So prohibition and the women's rights movement forward, the women's suffrage movement were long in the making when they came. Let me actually uh, talk about the tie between those two. So interestingly enough, they were really closely related because you talk about some of the reasons. Um, domestic violence, right? Like that's a, a big reason at least told. Who knows, right? But yeah, I mean, um, like it's told. I, I just I just think I guess there's like a part yeah, of there's it. also like, like why would men take and racism that were like no, 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 push, it, like it, weird things a, going on. Lots it's of a dynamics. big part though of the reason that the women's movement the yes. early suffrage movement was so compelled by by uh, temperance and those yes. two issues yes. were very Absolutely. closely exactly. linked because they and were thinking a, about the welfare of women. And it's a big reason why both were blocked. So it's not a surprise that once you get the prohibition movement, it's okay to let women vote because women were the ones pushing the prohibition movement. So now that that's not a problem or you can't control for that, then you can now let them vote because like, what's the difference, right? And you get that within years of each other, they are actually ratified. So it's that that it's interlocking in that way. You talked about that being the only amendment to be repealed. And that happened about a decade, a little bit more than a decade after that. And, and that was a different sort of energy. So there's a few things going on there. One is, so I, I just to sort of go back to the sort of idea that this was part like of these movements that were sort of intersecting, like, you know, there's this guy, Wayne Wheeler, who was like heading up the lobbying group around uh, prohibition that kind of was, he was like, sort of like your precursor to the NRA, right? Like it was a very sophisticated, well-run operation to get prohibition, like, you know, sort of your, like think about like your scorecards for members, like they were a real pressure group, right? And they did all the tactics that people built on, built on the abolition of movement, but sort of modernized it. Um, but then you get the repeal. And, and one thing to note is, um, you have this period, like a 20-year a, a period, I want to say, where you don't get a uh, redistricting. So, and this was because rural parts of the country, the rural states in the West and the South, they had power and they knew that the growth of immigration and the movement to the city, those actually, that would have shifted the power to different regions, to the Midwest mm -hmm. and the North again. And so that, that non-redistricting gave um, temperance supporters in those states where it had its greatest support power that they should not have had because they were, so they got it kind of over the line with sort of like undue power. And not surprisingly, once you finally get that redistricting in 1929 or 1929 and 1930, then you actually get the repeal because where the people are, one, they're already tired of this like bad idea of putting social policy <laughs> into the Constitution and they want to like pop their champagne bottles. But two, now they actually have the power that's due to them because they've been redistricted and apportioned properly. Um, and so, yeah, you, you get that sort of that push back and you get the amendment. And the last final and the, the other thing about prohibition, the repeal, actually, that's interesting. That's the only way. I did not way. know that the redistricting was a, like a core part of the repeal. Oh, I did not huge. know. Okay, oh, I didn't huge. know that. That's so interesting. Constitutional hardball is through, like weaved through the entire story. Like, um, and, and that's one of the examples. Like, um, but I, the, the other thing about prohibition that's really interesting is it is the only amendment 
where it was ratified by state conventions as opposed to state legislators. So oh, Article really? 5 gives the upper, the ability, Congress gets to choose whether it's going to be state legislators or these special um, ratifying conventions in the states to ratify. And so this was a way, one, it showed you that the people really wanted this, but two, it kind of took the pressure off of the temperance supporters that still existed. They weren't the ones that had to do the dirty work in the end. Uh, and so you get that one example of, of, of popular conventions actually ratifying that. People really wanted to drink. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's nothing we can relate to on this show. No, no, but, no. <laughs> Cucumber say, water. Yeah, I know, I know, you weirdo. My uh, cognac glass is empty already. Oh my God. Um, we ha Hello, Shailish, so nice to see you. Uh, excellent question as usual. Go ahead and, uh, and, and ask it. Thanks. Um, so I wanna explore the role of thought leaders in all of this. So, uh, so can we make constitutional amendments or any big strides forward without having exceptional thought, thought leaders leading the charge? So after the last four years, or five, I should say at this point, it feels really unfair that mediocre people can are capable of messing things up, uh, but improving things requires an MLK or a Gandhi or a civil war. And what does that say about us as people? Like, you know, are we are we able to make continuous improvements, or it, does it take sort of catastrophic events or big big sort hmm. of changes to improve things? Yeah. So I, uh, one thing I want to say is we we evolve. Constitutional amendments are not the only way we change the Constitution. And so I, I talk we, we talk about these amendments because they are ingrained. There's an importance to enshrining new texts in the Constitution that gives like judges an ability to find a command or something to base their commands off of. It often um, sort of ratifies something that was going on before the amendment itself. Right. So they're important they change the actual organic law, the text of our constitution. But we are also changing through politics and through the Supreme Court and other ways, culturally, we're changing. And often what we're doing is like right in, in the aftermath of amendments, what we're trying to do is to like situate ourselves and get used to the big changes that have happened, the amendments themselves, but all of the push that led up to that period. And then during that period, we're really trying to figure out what these new amendments mean, right? Like we're technically in this period of non-amending activity, at least formally, but we're really doing stuff. We're evolving, we're changing, we're making, um, we're either making steps back or a step forward, right? Um, overall, the progress, progress is the arc is sort of long and forward, but like, you know, we have like following the amendments, we've also had revanchist sort of behavior too, right? Like. We had um, the, the the sort of lost cause and Jim Crow after um, after Reconstruction. We've had like again a very conservative pushback to the civil rights movement in the 70s, and so we're what we are changing constitutionally in both senses during those periods. Um, but the the sort of amendments are like the sort of beacon of those change. They either sort of um, sort of shore up everything that was happening or they make a big change that needed to happen in that period 
Um, so hopefully that's not the only way we think about change. We shouldn't, but it is a very important way that we haven't thought about enough recently. And that was one of the prompts from the book. We should be thinking about amending the constitution. So I kind of want to close with that, uh, that question. So I want to ask the question, is there a natural reason why uh, the, why amendments have lost our attention as a mechanism of change? Is there something that is structurally or the formalism of the amendments is not as compelling to us as periodic measures as we want like the courts to reflect in kind of slower, like more deliberate or that we don't want the courts to reflect depending on the day, right? Like in like in kind of what they're doing and how they're interpreting various aspects of 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 the law. And one of the things that I'm kind of wondering as I'm listening to you is like, is there a way that like you're arguing for almost an originalism, like an originalism, but changing what the original structure is. Uh, so change the found, change your, change the mast chain that you tie yourself to, right? Don't like change the vines. Don't change like, you know, like every, you know, but like change, like what it is that you're structuring yourself to and that is the more legitimate means of change rather than all of these things around the edges. Uh, and I'm just kind of, I'm just wondering hmm. like what you kind I've of- I've never been called an originalist, but thank you I know, I for love that. It. I just had to <laughs> one last time. Oh, sorry, Ben is like, <laughs> Ben, you're muted, go ahead. I mean, you'd never, I, I, I'm, have you ever been called pregnant before? You <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. That is, you are not wrong on that, Ben. Yeah. Well, you should like see Will. He's like the most, yeah, whatever. But like pregnant like, person, you know, yeah, um, <laughs> um, but no, but like there is, I will say that, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of, no, I know you've never been called an originalist, but I do actually wonder yeah, like, no, if, I, I, if there is like an element of like, if the reform you're calling for is amending the constitution rather yeah. than like strategic litigation or like other types of change, like it's maybe it's like an everything and the kitchen sink kind of argument, or maybe yes. it's like, a, okay, okay. Then yeah. So yeah, no, no. And I, I, I so I, I really appreciate that. I think that we have to engage in ways that are going to change the constitution across the board. I think strategic litigation is important. And I think if there's anything that uh, one, the ACLU has taught us, but then those organizations that sort of on the conservative side that had modeled themselves off the rise of the ACLU have taught us is like the Supreme Court is a real strategy for constitutional change. And, and so you can't just completely let that down. But for some, some things, it's just not an avenue if they're not going to change their mind. So Citizen United is not going to be reversed anytime soon. So if you want to change that sort of thought, you need to amend the constitution because that's the only way you got it. There is, I think, importance. Wait, Ben, you're- I think Ben, you're, um, Ben is- Oh, sorry. You're... But the, the flip side of that is that, you know, if you take starting with the Nixon administration, the a very explicit goal was to abort constant, no pun intended, to abort constitutional change um, uh, that was ongoing through yeah. additions to the court. Um, and then particularly starting in the Reagan administration, the, you know, that idea is extended to a kind of prospective constitutional vision 
yeah, that's largely been a pretty effective way to uh, to to change, at, at least in a defensive fashion, to change yeah. constitutional substance as well. Yeah, and I think I think the last fifty years have really like this is the the first period like where conservatives are really driving the whole discussion about the Constitution. I, and I, that this goes back to Kate's um, point, which is that people have given up on amendments, but also given up on other things. They find it to be just completely not worth the effort. Or if we're going to push for constitutional change, let's push for other measures first and see where that gets us. Well, I think that got us 50 years of nothing. Right. And, and, and that's what it's proving. But I think the people get exasperated, but people also just don't know the history. Right. Because this happens. The dry spells are generations long in history. People people forget the history short. Right? Lo, lo and behold, you know, people are really clamoring. Some people are clamoring for an insurrectionist to be elected president. Like a year and a half after the sort of or less than a year and a half after the insurrection right so people's memories of history are short and the idea of this book is to like jog that memory that this is like we faced in, in circumstances like this after a time people got fed up and saw that the constitution wasn't doing the work that it needed to govern effectively it was not protecting our rights it was not making we the people the actual people who are consenting to what's being governed but instead being governed by sort of you know, the interest or certain elites or what have you that are not reflecting us. And so the idea here is really to show that history, to say that we are in a comparable um, period right now. And we are seeing some of those catalysts that I mentioned, some that I didn't mention. I'll, I'll save some from the book for y'all to read. Um, but oh, we're but seeing some of these conditions again. right but now. Yeah. And, and we should and we should take that seriously, right? Because all the other stuff is not going to work, or it only works for so long. It's one way of amending the Constitution through like the courts and political movements, as Bruce Ackerman said, sort of the New Deal revolution. But the the way we do and the textual basis is important because you're always going to have conservatives say, well, that's not in the Constitution. Well, a nice thing to say is, yes, it is, right? And then sort of build off of it what you do as we do. <laughs> in this common yeah. law way that we do with doctrine. So yeah, that's originalist me, but like that's originalist me may, um, melding with the sort of living constitutionalist me and the sort of activist me and yeah. the me that want to see a more progressive, more perfect union. And, and I think constitutional amendments need to be a part of that bucket of, of things that we're sort of using. Will Codrington for president. No, there's so much there. I just want to point that's out really that good, in the current poll about uh, what constitutional amendments you'd be most likely to favor, both universal time and mandatory dog shirts are beating, yes. banning orange wallpaper. Um, uh, so, um, you know, vote for vote for universal time <laughs> and so mandatory dog shirts. Yes, I'm, I'm I'll take a dog shirt. Um, uh, we'll send you a dog shirt. Yeah, uh, if you, yeah, if we'll you'll wear you a dog, dog shirt on the show, we'll send you one. Yeah, um, you don't even have to wear it on the show. You can just tweet it. But there's, but we have to wrap up. I have to get going. But thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. Let's come back and do an ERA day. Maybe we can get Reva Siegel to come on. That would be fun. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. We will uh, be back yeah. tomorrow. Genevieve and I will be doing cheese night. Kate is taking the night off. Scott has vanished in a puff of smoke. And, he's like uh, actually teaching law school. He's actually teaching <laughs> law school or doing like debating with Michael Ellis or something. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But we will be back 22 hours and 57 minutes from now. And until then, Kate, I just want to tell you, we can't have fun anymore, but we can paint our walls orange to drive you to distraction. <laughs> paint it on orange. Oh my God.